Hello and welcome to Wendy's Words of Wisdom. Uh, today with me, in front of me, I have a very metrosexual <laughs> Carl Donnelly. Welcome. Hi, <laughs> We've just been talking about your um, your metrosexuality. Yeah, I notice you've got a diptyque candle on the, uh, on the recording desk. I do. I think it's nice to sort of be surrounded by nice smells. I love it. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in scented candles. Yeah. I bought two the other day. I live with comedian Benny Boot. Comedian Benny Boot. That's his full Benny name. Boots, <laughs> and I came back from Which flavours of diptyque? Oh, they weren't diptyque. Oh, I mean, I didn't oh I'm sorry for your loss. Those are burn down properly. The ones that sort of, <laughs> like, basically burns down like about a sort of two centimetre diameter hole and the rest of it's And left. the rest of it's left. But that still smells nice. The, um, the diptyque shop, in pa- for those of you who don't know, diptyque candles are just stupidly expensive candles. So, so middle-class so middle class, But also, the great thing about them is you can, before you burn them, you put them in the freezer, you know that? No. Put them in the freezer to extend their lifespan. I don't know how it works, it just does. I was told Science. to do that. Science. Um, and also, you, because they're such good candles, you don't have to light them straight away. You can open them in the room and let them spend, fill the air before you light them. They These are, are all money-saving tips. Yeah. But um, when you've spent... <laughs> I think it's £32. Well, for that, that size you got there? That's, the, that's a £20 one. That's a £20, but for £60... It's a dinky one. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a fan of a Yankee candle. A Yankee candle? It's not a Yankee candle, it's an American brand. Oh really? really An American brand? <laughs> How strange they went for the name Yankee. But they're quite big, uh, and they're probably about sort of seventeen pounds a candle. Okay. But they need a good good lifespan. Good lifespan. Well, good the um, well. good Christmas ones they do. <laughs> cinnamon and orange pomander yeah. I believe was a good Christmas yeah. scent um, the diptyque shop in Paris if you go in they'll talk you through where all the scents come from yeah. but the guy in um, uh, Selfridges does the same thing does he? you go to the diptyque man oh, God, I can't believe I know this shit I love this I though did you? why? Why, why did my family were poor? <laughs> <laughs> I sp- what I do now is I like to spend the week's food budget on a candle yeah. But the Apapadax candle, the diptyque one, the guy told me that the, in, they used to burn it in ancient Egypt when someone died to help the soul go to, really? to the gods. Well, this is it. I'm also, I like, um, I like sort of incense and all that. I like frankincense, one of my favourite smells. Is it? Yeah, I bought a kilo bag of frankincense. You bought a kilo bag of frankincense? Got a cleaner that comes in every Saturday, and the first time... Your family would be ashamed. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> I can't tell my family this stuff about it. It's all right. It's not going public or anything. <laughs> But like they don't understand technology, this would never reach their ears. Oh, good. Um, Tell me about your cleaner thinking that your bag of frankincense was something it else. It's like a bag of like crack. It's just like little sort of you know it's what frankincense cr- in its raw form. No, I haven't actually. <laughs> it's, no. It's basically sort of uneven rock type crystals. Okay. Uh, you burn them on. What color? Like a sort of white, semi clear at times. But okay. It quite a sort of cloudy white. Okay. So it looks like drugs, and it's a big kilo crystal bag. meth. Yeah, it looks like meth. I've heard. uh, (laughs) I've seen Breaking Bad. That's true, but they make a good blue form. I think standard meth's a bit shit, isn't it? it? I've no idea. I've heard that allegedly. (laughs) Have you had Crystal Meth? I've never had Crystal Meth. It's one of the few I haven't had. Does it intrigue you? Totally. I've I've got a deal with a friend that um, we are going to inject heroin at some point in our lives. Oh, really? Yeah, just to get a one-off. But what if you really like it and then it won't be a one-off? I'm guaranteed to like it. It's meant to be amazing. Really? I don't know a single ex-addict who has ever said the actual feeling is bad it's always just the, when you become an addict what happens to your life well um yeah. so apparently they say it's incredible like you'll, you'll never be able to fill the hole once you give it up 
Well, then maybe it's not a good idea a to try it as a one-off. It's not. It's also I'd worry. If you're just gonna do it once and then get addicted. It's if you do it once and then you think I want to do that all the time. Really. And then start doing it regularly after you get addicted. Surely. I don't know I, I'm, I'm too scared to risk. I've got a friend who's like a, um, in recovery um, from heroin, and they say that heroin they find is the one that you attend most um, recovered recovered addicts funerals because they'll go back and just have one more hit, and the the strength of heroin they'll take oh, yeah, would be the same level as the last time. Is that what happened to him? He was off for it for eighteen years, and then went back on it, and just his body now. Oh my god! Uh, but no, but saying that, yeah, if you're recovering, uh, recovering uh, addict, and then you go back onto it, it's different. So I think a totally non-addictive. I think I'd much rather they just stick with like greening back black butterscotch chocolate. <laughs> mm, just I've got people who rely on me. <laughs> Three of which. Yeah. Actually, you yeah. <laughs> bet with my friends. Well, not bet. My deal probably would change if either of us had kids. Yeah. You might have to. Um, so talk me through your, your love of the frankincense. Because I, I was speaking to the kids about frankincense because they were baffled that um, alarm bells didn't ring for the Virgin Mary when the, the wise men brought gold, frankincense and myrrh because they were like, oh, what's frankincense and myrrh? And I said, well, it's used in embalming. Yeah. And they were like, oh. But frankincense, yeah, frankincense is an incense, obviously. <laughs> that you burn. <laughs> yeah, the clue's in the name. <laughs> it sounds like some, someone like from East End. Yeah, there's an embalming fluid. fluid but yeah. frankincense was used in the pre- preparation of the body yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So it is, it's you know. Churchy. That's what it is. That's why I like it so much because it reminds me of going to church. When I was it reminds me when you had faith. Well, not when I had faith. It's just I always, I've always enjoyed churches more than the things that goes on in churches. I, yeah, I am totally with you on that because I was brought up Catholic and I love the ritual. Well, it's, it's just not even the ritual. I love the buildings. But I regularly, not regularly so much now, but when I'm travelling, if I'm overseas in a city, one of the first things I'll go to is like the cathedral. Really? Just I love them. I love cathedrals. I love big religious buildings. Same goes for like mosques and stuff. If I'm in like the Middle East, I'll go to a mosque. It's easier for you to get into a mosque than it is for me, I'd, I'd imagine. Do they let ladies just, just be? <laughs> what with a whole? <laughs> I'm a totally white man. <laughs> yeah, white I know. Man. You'd you know, be amazed how easy your life is. <laughs> It's so bizarre being a white, well, white male. Things just happen really easily for me. Churches and cathedrals. Yeah, I love them. And I also, this is quite a cynical way of looking at them. Like in Melbourne, I, I, if I've got a really bad hangover, like I've just come back from the Melbourne Comedy Festival, uh, the Melbourne Cathedral is one of the best places to go for a hangover. It's so quiet. It's really cold, even though it's hot outside. And it's just somewhere to get like, your head can just you can get your head together and get rid of the hangover. Yeah, cover from a hangover. Yeah, well, it's about <laughs> it's about clearing your mind. Yeah. I guess as long as you don't put your your face in the holy water. No, I, but I do sort of just do that thing. Of, like, again, it looks like I'm praying, but I'm just hanging. I'm sitting down, <laughs> like, you know, on my knees, head in my hands. People are like, God, this guy's really getting some stuff in his chest, which I probably am. But, yeah. yeah. Very different way of doing it. But you know, it's some kind of absolution that you're looking for, isn't yeah. it? Do you so you went to church a lot when you were a kid? Um, I went every Sunday, probably between the age of you know, toddler and about eight, nine, when my parents started actually letting me have some say in it. Oh, you, you, say, but I was old enough you to, got a say at or nine? I yeah, I, I kind of had young. to wait till I was about I think I was still going when I was um going to university whenever I went home I had to really yeah I know from like yeah once I got to like 10 11 I was totally just didn't stop going I didn't believe it and they were cool with that 
Really? Yeah. My parents, they went to a Catholic church and then we went to... Um, um, I did. It's all right. <laughs> I was going to let it slide, Sorry. but um, it's okay. Um, Lucy Porter kept um, commenting on there was like someone drilling next door when oh, we were right. doing it, and she was like, "I'm not farting. I just want everyone to know that I'm not farting." Well, you do that on a podcast, and then you listen to it back, and you can't hear the noise that the people turn into. Okay. We never done had that before. No. So like, it just sounds like they're just mental. Well, you know, um, what was I talking? Oh, yeah. My parents went to quite a progressive. We went to, to mass when we were little. Then we went, went out to senior school. They went. They found this sort of um, university chaplaincy, Edinburgh University chaplaincy, that was run by Benedictine monks yeah. that had all travelled the world and they'd all done sort of um, work in South America and sort of building bridges between. You know, they all did work for Amnesty International, and it was really. Yeah. They were really interesting to go and talk to. I used oh, to think yeah. stand-ups should. There should be more stand-ups going into the church because, you know, you'd have a packed house there on a yeah, Sunday. Yeah. People would just go and listen to an, an yeah. entertaining speech. And I remember once the um, the heating broke in the the, the church, in the right. chaplaincy, and the the chaplain said, um, well, the heating's broken, um, so it's going to be either really cold in here or really hot. We just don't know yet. But I feel like an, uh, a period of intense heat would do you all some good, let you know what you're all in for. <laughs> My mum's like blessing herself and doing lots of Hail Marys. Oh, I like priests. I've got a lot of time for them. I, weirdly, on the way here, uh-huh. came by King's Cross. I walked past Rowan Williams, ex-Archbishop of Canterbury. Oh, really? I'm a massive fan of. I once saw him do a speech, uh, and he's, he's a fascinating man. I he's really super intelligent, like just a proper learned man. And yeah, just very, he's very liberal for a, for for a priest. Canterbury, but he had to rein it in a bit while he was actually reigning Archbishop because... Church of England's not exactly the most forward-thinking. They're not, are they? I did a, a radio show with him once, and he was lovely. Mm. And it was Easter Sunday, and he'd come in yeah. in the morning. It was, I think, it was like one of these eight AM sort of yeah. BBC London things. And I was like, "Oh, busy day for you, isn't it?" And he <laughs> <Good> didn't. <laughs> I often, admittedly, not my best opener, <laughs> but he just looked at me blankly. <laughs> you know when you have, yeah. when you make. <laughs> Aren't you expecting someone? <laughs> <laughs> but nothing. But um, I also, you know, when jo- talking when jokes fell flat, yesterday I went to this, I spoke earlier that I went to play basketball and it was a men's basketball team. Yeah. And the guy that was marking me said, and you know when you make jokes to people that they, you think they're going to get your sense of humour? Yeah. And he was marking me and he said, oh, I just keep trying not to hit you. And I said, I bet you say that to all the girls. <laughs> <laughs> and thought I was hilarious. Was and he just looked horrified. Uh. Oh, well. So, you're back from Melbourne. And New Zealand. And New Zealand. Amazing. I heard that noise, but I'm not quite sure what it was. Oh, the saucy Mickey one. Rourke. Was it Mickey Rourke? Yeah, I think it's it might Mickey be. Rourke, I can't remember the, the actual that's not the one with the bunny, the, the boiling the rabbit. Attraction. That's fatal attraction. Okay. <laughs> it's a waste of a good meal. Yeah, <laughs> Go out for dinner first. <laughs> yeah, for dinner first Line your stomach. Okay. Best post sex snacks for you, Carl? Um, I think you need. You know, I'm a vegan, so. Oh, of course you are. So I need to be. Uh, so I need to know. Protein based. I'll go for like a sort of. Uh, you know, peanut butter. Peanut butter. <laughs> peanut butter on. Crisp bread. <laughs> Very sexy. <laughs> also very dark chocolate. Okay. You know, it wasn't got that many trace dairy. 
Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I find veganism. Of <laughs> Fill your boots you with your. I was going. Do you love a set zoomer? Got back into them. I know that's, that's ridiculous, but it doesn't. But like, I've never really. I think that's why the basic fruits don't get enough press. Okay. You know, I've always been one of these people that love the mango and a pineapple, but recently I was like, just keep it simple: an apple and a satsuma. Ah. Yeah. Because that's your words of wisdom on fruit. <laughs> Top five fruits. Um. Well, I would try, mango would be in there. Mango's mango delicious. I have to say, recently, pineapple, I found, and it was the baby that pointed out the, this out to me, He when it, when something's a bit tart or a bit spicy for him, or fizzy, in his, yeah. like, like um, fizzy water, he always goes, oh, it's a bit spicy. Right. And he ate pineapple and went, oh, a bit spicy. So I had a bit of it, and it was kind of quite tart. It is very tart, yeah. I kind of but felt it might be... It's really good if you slice it very thinly and put lime juice on it. Then it's very nice. Okay. When I was in Miami, they brought round, uh, I was in this bar in Miami, and they brought round tequila-soaked pineapple slices. Oh. It was a little slice yeah, of heaven. They, 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 they sort of, like, they were calling it pineapple carpaccio, which I was kind of like, that's real beef, in it? But, um, and then they put it, um, well, tequila on it. I, that's where I had the lime soaked one, in a, in a restaurant called Ceviche. Oh, right. It's, Soho. it's very good. It's a Peruvian restaurant. And they do, as a dessert, they do... Basically, carpaccio pineapple. And the, and the ceviche means it's cooked in some kind of juices or something, ceviche, isn't it? It's, it's, it's raw cooking. It's when it's cooked in lime juice. So you, get, you might get like a thin slice of fish that is soaked in lime juice and the citrus actually technically cooks the food. Oh, cool. Yeah. Every day's a school. That you, I, I took you off the subject of top five food, foods with oh, my pineapple yeah, interruption. Mango definitely be in there. Um, I said, I'd go, yeah, I'd go for like a satsuma. Um, mango, you're, you've changed. <laughs> uh, do you know what I love is a Sharon fruit. I have no idea what you're talking exactly, about. Right. Is that it's from your travels? Like a shiny no, is it? Like a shiny nectarine. Oh, it's like a shiny orange. It looks like a, it looks like the shape of an apple, colour of an orange, like texture on the front of a sort of rubber ball. It sounds really appetising. <laughs> and how do you eat it? Do you just sink like your peach. teeth into no, it, like? It's like a pear. This is the most confusing fruit. So, <laughs> it looks like it's an really apple. Colour of an orange tastes like a pear. <laughs> Wouldn't a, you better be just with, be better with just a pear? It's, it's got the consistency <laughs> of a, a, a slightly underripe pear. <laughs> <laughs> just, give one, just try one. It's, not, it's got another name. A Sharon, Sharon fruit. fruit is a sort of layman's term. East End yeah. term, is it? But it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's called like a, it begins with a P, like persimmon or panessa, I don't know. Oh, I know what you mean. You mean a, uh, I'll come back to that. I remember it. And it's got like sort of little uh, leaves, brown leaves around it. No, you're not, you think of the little ones. Yeah. No, it's not them. It's like a big version of that. That's what it looks like. Cheers <laughs> to bring that up. <laughs> I don't know what that, that's like They're a persimmon cool. in yeah, it's, it's got a name similar though. Okay. Shit. <laughs> I'm going to do that now. I'm, I'm doing that now. Um, I'm not as quick as a radio producer would be. but I'm, strawberry. Strawberries are good. Yeah. Strawberries with balsamic vinegar on them? Yeah. That works. Sharon Osborne. No, Sharon Fruit. Fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always really intrigued as to the first. Persimmon. Persimmon. It's a persimmon. That's, it's a delicious fruit. Okay. Look that up. Yeah. Its uh, most widely cultivated species is the Asian persimmon. Right. There you go. There you go. I love oh, coconut. 
It's coconut. Coconut. It's not a fruit, though, technically, is it? It's a nut. Well, it's got a nut in the name. <laughs> I know, but it's still... Like, I look like Frank Incense. It's a nut. But it's no, I, I'm going with that as a fruit, because... It's like me and Chris Martin discussed uh, on our podcast at length about... You're a very funny podcast. I've listened to a lot of your podcast. Fun, My little cousin was very impressed, because he was like, do you know Carl, po- Carl Donnelly? Carl and I said, Carl Donnelly. Carl Donnelly? <laughs> <laughs> He's like Jim the Wrench. <laughs> Call him what he has. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, my my little cousin called up and he was like, "I've just seen it on Carl Donnelly's podcast that you're a guest on that, on the podcast." And I was like, "Oh, thanks." And he was like, "Yeah, you, you must be quite funny. Like, well, <laughs> you've known me all your life. <laughs> How come you've just realised that I might be funny? I'm only funny on your podcast." Um, but no, yeah, we we finally agreed that tomato is not a uh, a fruit; it's a vegetable. Okay, I think because it lives in vegetables. You don't put it. In, you wouldn't put a tomato in a fruit salad. You put it with vegetables. It goes. It lives with vegetables. It gets sold with vegetables. It's a vegetable. Okay. And that's what I think. Uh, I think. Coconut and that's is. your final word on the matter. Yeah, no, I'm saying <laughs> that the coconut is a fruit. Okay. You know what I mean? It's not a nut. You wouldn't make a sort of coconut. What would I do with a coconut? You I'd put. You'd put yeah, I would put it in a salad. Maybe some coconut shavings. But I put. I'd more commonly put it with maybe a lemon coconut cake. I love the thing is you you know you do spend thirty two pounds on a candle now but you bring sort of working class <laughs> <laughs> criteria. Yeah, bar snacks. If it does, if it wouldn't you be a bar, a bar, no, because that's going to quench your thirst. I think it's commonly accepted that if you you put salty things out, they're going to want people to drink. It's true. We used to, when I lived in a pub. Did um, you live in a pub? Went up between the age of uh, nine and twelve. Okay. Um, we used to put mini cheddars out in the, on the bar on Sundays. Okay. Cubes of cheese. Party time. Yeah, it was. Did people drink more? Um, I don't know. I don't, I didn't, Were you just being I friendly? I don't know. You might be some kind of like Rain Man yeah, genius. I'll, I'll just check my <laughs> Okay, now I want to know about Melbourne and Australia and New Zealand and well, how was it? Tell me what happened. What the different differences over there to here and all that kind of shit. If you could just chat, I'll interject and interrupt occasionally. It's not. I mean, Melbourne's a very cosmopolitan city. Audiences are quite well. That was my foot. Did you hear that noise? Yeah, I did hear that noise. That did sound like a fart. You're a big fidgeter, aren't you? It's warm as well. It is. Sorry about that. It's not your fault. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> about the heat. Um, no, I should is... have phoned ahead and sorted that out <laughs> for you, Carl. Um, Melbourne's good for food, isn't it? Very good. Very good for vegan food. Actually. Is it? Yeah. As is Auckland in New Zealand. Ah. Oh. New Zealand. Shit. Shit for no, the rest of New Zealand isn't shit. Not just shit the for food. Shit for vegans. All oh, right. Okay. But um, but no. Gig wise, the audiences are pretty similar. I think in Melbourne, mm-hmm. not that different. Uh, New Zealand, Auckland, and Wellington are pretty open-minded, pretty easy going. Mm-hmm. Then you get into the sort of outback. You know, we went to the South Island. Right. Lots of Scottish people in the, in the South Island, isn't there? Yeah, there was actually. That's, yeah. I didn't Lots of Scots went there because um, Dunedin and um, we passed through Dunedin. Well, Dunedin is what Edinburgh used to be called. Really? In know. days of old, probably in about 1982. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea. Right. But it used to be, you know, you know how wherever you're from, you get the history of that yeah, place. Yeah. So I was always surprised that nobody in England knew about the Jacobite Rising. But of right. course, you know, 
but um, Edinburgh used to be called Dunedin. And then, in the same way that I guess quite a lot of the American words, I found this out recently, yeah. um, quite a lot of American words that they have came from here, mm-hmm. and then they went away and they emigrated to America, they, they hung on to the words that we once used, and we've now, so you know how language is progressive yeah. and moves forward, so we used to say fall, and then Shakespeare would be the fall or come mm-hmm. for autumn, and we've moved on and we now call it autumn, and they still call it fall. There you go. Um, highlight. So you, you were saying that you hung a lot, You had a, a really nice time in Australia because you were. Uh, you didn't. Have, you weren't doing your own show. No, I was doing a best of the Edinburgh Fest, which is like best a big of the Edinburgh Festival. Okay. That had been running for years, and it's a. Uh, it just you basically it's free act doing like twenty five minutes a night, and it's um, it's really fun. The gig's pretty easy. It's a big theatre gig, and you know you get treated really well. You stay in a nice place and. And who were you on with? Me, Tom Stade, and Kai Humphreys. Uh-huh. And me and Kai had the bromance to end all bromances. We hardly knew each other before we got out Oh, there. really? Yeah, we met each other a couple of times, just chatted, like, like sort of total... He's, he's a, a lovely, open guy. I don't really know oh him that well, but God. whenever I see him, he's just so open and friendly. It's and unbelievable. Like, he's, he's properly... I genuinely like, think he's one of the most straight-down-the-line people you'd ever meet. Like, he's not a, there's not a bad bone in his body. No sort of bullshit about him. He just says whatever's in his head. And it's so refreshing, and like I just didn't—I'd never seen that. I'd never got to know him before. Mm-hmm. And this, we hit it off like a house on fire. And just went on a proper month-long cruise, <laughs> and just ended up with matching tattoos. Oh, nice! Yeah, that's quite a lifelong decision. Yeah, we were pissed at the time. <laughs> 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 did they let you? Did they tattoo well, you when you're pissed? Was, when I say pissed, we were—we were day after pissed. Basically, we'd been drinking to like borderline daylight, I think. It okay. Was, and then had to get up because Kai was doing a lunchtime gig. Uh-huh. So we were still pissed. I got up and went with him to the lunchtime gig for moral support for some reason. That's nice. Yeah, well, I was a bit upset again, but we were both still hammered and then just. What did you get? We got it's the shittest tattoo. What is it? It's it's <laughs> it's looks like it's meant to look like a passport stamp mm-hmm. with the letters NB, which stands for Naughty Boys, which okay. is a joke. <laughs> we acquired. Um, I think you guys should do a double act. I'd quite. I'd like. I'd buy a ticket for the Naughty yeah, Boys. We should do I saw a couple of your updates on Facebook. There was yeah. like, um, there was sort of uh, antics in a hotel, on a hotel balcony or something, yeah, there was wasn't there? Naked nudity and it was just proper lads holiday stuff. Oh, cool! It's nice to just let loose for a moment. But sponsored by someone else, mm. which is always the best. It was really good. Like, yeah, we had a real little. Uh, yeah, it was a month long lads holiday, <laughs> but also very productive. I was still writing my new Edinburgh show while I was out there. And, Oh, cool. Yeah. So actually, somehow I managed to be a liability and productive at the same time. Um, tell me about the pain of the tattoo, because obviously you were hungover. Oh, it's fine. They don't really hurt. It's the Where did you get it? On my shoulder. Okay. That's it. It's really crap. It's red. Oh, naughty boys. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> NB. Because <laughs> um, tat- I've got a tattoo. Yeah. But how would you describe the pain? I only got a tattoo um, last year. It's this well, year I've even. I've got two, and they don't... I, I think... Uh, it's just very scratchy is all it is. It feels like somebody's just doing a sort of constant annoying scratch, but it's right. not painful to the point of like, you know, like pain. It's like if somebody hits a, a, a knife into your arm, I want a knife, like, <laughs> if you get stabbed in the arm by like a needle or something. That's sore. It's, it's really quick, yeah, but that constant sort of scratchy pain is not very manageable, I think. I was told it was akin to having someone flicking your sunburn. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> it was a guy. It was a guy in a tattoo shop in LA who looked a bit like he should have been in ZZ Top. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I just. I think. Um, uh, yeah. Anyone who's not getting tattoos because they're scared of the pain, idiot. There's much better reasons to not get a tattoo. 
like the concept of being scarred for life. <laughs> the pain should not I met a girl who said, who I said, do you have any tattoos? And she said, no. And I said, why? And she said, because nothing really means anything to me. Oh, God. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Do, do, do all your I'm... tattoos mean something? Well, no, but I've got three and they're all impulse tattoos. Two of them I got on the same day. Oh, wow. And it was literally a case of waking up thinking, I want to get these. I've, I've, they've been in my head for a little while. So what are you rather? You've got the Naughty Boys tattoo. I've got one there. Which is like, is that DNA or something? It's a chemical symbol for um, serotonin. Oh. And that one is a chemical symbol for dimethyltryptamine. They're both brain neurotransmitters. I see. Are you? Yeah. That's interesting. It's all sort of hippie shit, isn't it? Well, I don't think it is. It's science, isn't no, it? Science, but I'm interested in the sort of hippie side. of The it serotonin well. stuff, because they like one of the things about um, we, we spoke about crystal meth recently, and um, <laughs> recently, recently. Do you remember those I know, way back when, in about 14 minutes ago, um, I because I'm t- I'm touch on crystal meth in my Edinburgh show and sort of looked into what it, what it does to you, yeah. and crystal meth blows out the dopamine receptors yeah. in your brain, so you can't experience any kind of sort of pleasure or joy without having that in your system. Oh, really? so that's why you have to keep having it and you don't feel that and it's like any kind of rush of, of pleasure so whatever you know whether it's gambling as I know you like to do or <laughs> you told me that well, that gambling was a, a, a major part of your um, <laughs> of your life I, oh. I gamble very little do you well why do you have an app on your phone for it I like what, I, what I do is um, now and again I like to bet on like a football match but I only oh. decide just before and when I say now and again I mean I'm talking every two or three months so. see I like the odd little flutter it's what's the last football. thing you just football what was the last thing I bet on the last thing I bet on was probably I won some money on the golf the masters in, that's not when football I was, when I was in Melbourne golf so I only yeah, oh, yeah. bet on uh, football or golf football or golf yeah um, but what did I yeah yeah it would have been that actually the masters was probably the last thing I bet on and I'm going to put a couple of world cup bets on just for a bit of fun who do you fancy in the world cup well I think um, Brazil are going to win it what I like to do with football is I do very small stakes but very sort of big silly bets right so like with really high odds yeah like I had a, I had a little weird run when I, I, I for a couple about three weeks in a row once uh, only a couple of years ago I bet on the exact scores of a couple of matches a week on the football and every week I managed to get one and did you have it on a what's it called when they sort of build on it, build on it hum- hum- all I did was I'd, I'd say pick a match and I'd just pick a score like 3-1 and the odds of picking right scores are so big. Are they? I'm putting three or four pounds in it. Like I, every, I, What's I think the return then? I went on a three-week run where I won at least like £150 off like three pounds. And I, it just it looked like I was psychic. And then finally it all came crashing next <laughs> week. Like, You're like, I might bet a fiver on that this time. <laughs> and it just said I just tried it. That's how they work. That's how they work. Mm. I put a bet on Frosch uh, at the boxing. Yeah. I quite like boxing. I love, I love boxing. Did you watch that fight? I did watch the fight, yeah. Who, who did you want to win? Well, I wanted Gross to win because I... I wanted Gross to win. I like... He's a Joe's a massive comedy fan. Is he? Yeah, 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 I've chatted to him on Twitter a few times. He follows loads of comedians. All um, right. And does he not follow you? Does he not follow me? <laughs> no, I'm, <joking>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even offended. I made a joke once on... Um, on well, I thought it was hilarious. You know when you start making make a joke, once again, an inappropriate joke? Well, I don't yeah. think it was that inappropriate. It was something about... There was a conversation between two people and... Um, Amir Khan yeah, was talking. Did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, did obs, obs, and it was a conversation that Amir Khan was having, and it said something about Kelly Brook, mm. and I said, "Oh, Kel Brook," mm. 
And I went, God, is Kelbrook getting into boxing now? Is there nothing she'll leave alone? <laughs> and then laughed for about a week at my hilarity. And then got a mess, then got an Amir Khan is following you. And I was like, oh! <laughs> and then he... I'm sure he is, but he's a boxer. I'm slightly frightened of him. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he doesn't walk around boxing people just randomly. No, but um, uh, <laughs> um, but he sort of tweeted me to say, it's a different cow. Oh, and I was kind of like, oh, no. no. I know, I was kind of like, there's nothing I can say because I'll make you... Yeah, I, yeah. I actually meant what I said. But I don't want to sort of, you know... Because I make him look like a cunt by going, yeah, that's the joke. Yeah, maybe, maybe your head's been. <laughs> no, no, I just get, I did that kind of back out, back out. But, um, yeah, so George Groves, he's a he. I wanted him to win just because he's yeah, and he's new. Yeah, and, you know, he's a Londoner. And... I think he could have had it in the first if he'd done it earlier. Well, I don't think. I think. Um, I think Carl Froch is just at the minute a better boxer, but. Um, yeah, I, th- I just think, you know, as his time is coming to an end, I would have preferred Grove to take it forward. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I think I think Carl Froch, after the first fight, knew exactly what he had to do and just totally yeah. played it really smart. And it was really, it was always going to be much harder this time for Grove to beat him. I don't think people realise that. People were always like, but now, yeah, now Froch is yeah. scared of him. It's like, not at all. Carl Froch has got his He's got so experienced, isn't he? And he knew exactly what he needed to do. And he watched him and he just did it to a T. What fight would you like to have seen? Like to have been at. Well, what in real, what actually yeah. has happened? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I would love to have been at. Uh, well, obviously the big ones like Ali and you know Foreman, but mm-hmm. I think in terms of British boxing, I would love to have been at uh, the first Eubank Nigel Ben fight, mm-hmm. which I just think is like it's brutal. Oh, I'll tell you my favourite boxing fight of all time. What is um is Mickey Ward or Toro Gatti? Uh, do you know the film The Fighter? Yes. So The Fighter is based on... Mickey oh, Ward. yes, 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 yes. Uh, but it's really weird, actually. I, I really enjoyed it as a film. But the, the film stops when the really big things happened. Like, so it stops when he suddenly became a contender, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Or he won like a, a Well, he had no chance, did he? And then he started... Yeah. But yeah. then the next fight, after the film ends, the next fight he got was a title fight against Arturo Gatti, who was the best in the world at that time. And that fight is regarded as one of the greatest fights of all time. But I'm going to write that down. But stopped... Before he actually, and in the fight, Arturo Gatti was the massive favourite. Mickey Ward was this guy who now had a title shot, mm-hmm. uh, but was still a bit of a brawler. And they had the most brutal 12 rounds of boxing. It was like something from a Rocky film. They, really? they basically, they were both had iron chins. So it's basically, it almost looks like they almost agreed or stand opposite each other, punch each other in the head. Whoever goes down loses. My and God. they just did that for 12 rounds, and Mickey Ward won it on points. It was a massive shot. And then he became the champion. And then the next fight, the rematch, Arturo Gatti beat him again a bit of 12 rounds. And in the decider, Arturo Gatti won that. Um, like, but it's, but it's just, them three fights are amazing. But the film just... It's, it's interesting, nice what, yeah. It's coming bit, but... But that's, think, what, that's what Hollywood want. They want the struggle, don't they? And yeah, then the sort of... Pretend... also then had the big ending. Like, they sort of stop it when it becomes... five hours ending. long. <laughs> I don't know, because I know the real story. I think when yeah. I watched that film, I loved it. But thought I would have liked to see the actual big ending, which is him actually becoming champion. I remember watching the Michael Watson fight. Remember that? Um, yeah. And just that 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 sort of excitement turning to horror when you're like, yeah, oh, it's brutal. So brutal. I read a thing yesterday about Sugar Ray Robinson about he once tried to cancel a fight because he had a dream the night before that he killed the guy, and he tried. Oh no, it was like a week before. So he tried to pull out the fight because he had a dream, and 
And the money man will let that happen, wouldn't he? Because this is it, and everyone told him, well, it's just a dream, and he killed the guy. <sighs> How bad did you feel about that? Yeah, I'd feel pretty bad. I think I'd feel pretty bad about that. I know, but then you've got that thing, you know, that's that recycle babble, isn't it? But at the same time, if you actually, you'd be like, oh, shit. Yeah. Did you ever do that, that thing in um, the questionnaire that came through one Edinburgh for all the comedians? And it was somebody was doing sort of some analysis, yeah. psychoanalysis on them, comedians. And it was a questionnaire, but, you know, do you prefer hot conditions or cold conditions? Do you think like this? Do you like create? Do you like you have a visual memory or a word memory? Right. Do you believe you have magic powers? <laughs> I was kind of like, well, not now. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to admit that. I no. think <laughs> obviously I'm magic in some areas, but I'm not going to share that with you. Um, I once had the pl- well the pleasure. I was flying up to Glasgow on an EasyJet flight, and um, we were waiting, we were waiting, waiting for the last passenger to get on. And the last passenger gets on, and it is Mike Tyson with his whole family. What? Uh, yeah, and they woke up the they woke up the flight, and he was doing some kind of after dinner speaking, yeah. um, in in Glasgow, and when we got off, I thought, you know, it's Mike. Tyson. He's waiting for his baggage, and I was like, that's Mike Tyson. And I had the baby with me. My youngest was like six months, so I went up to Mike Tyson. I said, excuse me, would you mind off just holding the baby so I can get a photograph? And he was like, not at all. And so I've got a photograph of Mike Tyson <laughs> holding the baby. Yeah. And my husband, Stephen, was coming to pick me up. And he said he looked across and he thought, that looks like Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be because Wendy's chatting to him and he's holding the baby. <laughs> I was like, hi. <laughs> You'll never guess he was on the flight. <laughs> Did you, I, I never approach anyone if I see anyone who's super. I tend not to. But then I've got this thing where there's, there's people that I kind of, I mean, Mike Tyson is one of those sort of, my sister was furious. She was like, oh my God, I can't believe that you approached yeah. him and he's such a bad man. And I, I respect his fighting. But, um, yeah, and also, yeah, I think he's, I'm not, I've never condemned anything anyone does, but he's, he's a very damaged individual. Yeah. He's had a terrible upbringing. Terrible. Yeah, you know, he's, and I think when you see him talk now, he's like, he's very, you know. Very humble. He's very humble. I think he knows he's, you know, he went off the rails, he knows all that. I'm not saying that, that doesn't justify Yeah, it doesn't justify but anything, but at the same time. You can't help but sort of think he has not had the best, he didn't exactly know fully, full well. He's not a very smart guy, is he? Well, you know, even Jay-Z says in, um, you know, that song, um, what is it, um, was it the song about New York, when he was talking talking about, when Jay-Z was like, mentioned how much money Mike Tyson got in yeah. that one, the one night for that one fight and how yeah. crazy it would make you, and it did, it, you went off the rails. And also how, many, how much of his money was nicked off him by everyone around him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's just one of these people that is Well, he's doing smart. after, and he's doing after speaking yeah, because yeah. he's skint. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I completely forgot what I was going to I've, I've lost my thread. Do you approach people? Yes. Have you ever approached? That's what I, I was going to say. I would, I would not, I, I used to not do it, but then there's people that I've been in the same room with and gone, I wish I'd, you know, yeah, it's it's excruciating and to embarrassing. Today, when I saw him afterwards, I was like, oh, I'd love to have a chat with him. Just well, why do I, I just think these, these little snippets happen so f- seldom in life that you've got to. I know, but I don't like to interrupt anyone. Weirdly, talking boxing, I was on a tube. Part of the year, and Anthony Joshua, the gold medal winning he- a super heavyweight British boxer, won the gold at 2012. Um, he got on, and he's an absolute unit. Like he's about Is six he? five, built like a tank, really good looking. <laughs> what are you doing, getting on the tube, <laughs> yeah. making us all look mortal? And no one was looking at him. I don't think it was you know a bunch of business. More. It was an early morning in the tube. I remember, and 
What were you doing up early like, morning? I was, I was having a meeting. So I'll get you. What about a free flight to Australia? <laughs> a lot of a lot of meetings happen in comedy. Very little actually ends up coming from them. But he then I was so busy staring at him that the person next to me got up uh, and then he came and sat down and I was so like. <gasps> I was, I was like, I, I, all you're I getting all excited. You're hitting the microphone. Yeah, I was going to turn to him and say, "Look, man, I don't want to interrupt, but I just want to say, really enjoyed watching him in the Olympics, and I, I know he had his first." And how nice would that have been for him first, to hear? No, but I just don't think like that. Do I was it. So nervous that um, I didn't notice that a really old woman got on and was standing right in front of me, and obviously needed a seat, and he got up and gave her his seat, and I looked like a prick. Yeah. <laughs> so I like, oh, God. And I tweeted him. I tweeted like I tweeted him saying, "Just look like a prick in front of Anthony Joshua," because. I was. Uh, I didn't give my seat to an old lady, and he's. He even said, "Oh, you should have said hello." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, I did." Yeah, but I think you did. Like we um had a thing, and we were in Disneyland, and uh, with the kids, and Jason Siegel walked past, and like my husband and Max nearly wet themselves because yeah. they love the Muppet movie and right. they love Jason Siegel. And Max was walking along. He just had. He just. We just bought him these Mickey Mouse hands. Yeah. And Max was like, Mommy, it's Jason Siegel, Jason Siegel. I said, Max, it happens so seldom. Go up to him. You know, he's he's in a public place. I'm sure he won't mind. I, look, if there's anywhere you're going to approach a man from the Muppet movie, it's in Disneyland. So he walked up to him and he said, um, Hi, I really like doing the Muppets, the Muppet movie. And would you mind si- signing my hand? Yeah. And uh, so he did. He was like, Of course. And signed it. And I said, I'm really sorry to bother you. And he was like, It's no bother at all, ma'am. I was like, Oh my God. And then I was like, "That's so nice of him. It was so nice of him. My husband was like, you'd have to be a right cunt to say no to a yeah. kid in Disneyland. Yeah, that, is, that would be, <laughs> one place you couldn't say no. Because I totally get, I understand when people say no. I, know, yeah, I get it. If time, but if you're, if you do get it, but I always think if you're going to approach someone, be prepared for them to say no and yeah. for you to be okay with that. Yeah, yeah totally. But if someone's your hero. Yeah. Why would yeah. you miss that opportunity? I want to, uh, do you remember Reg from The Bill? Did you just watch The Bill when you were young? I do like, vaguely remember, time. yeah. Reg was the guy with the big nose. And sort of been it for years. brill creamed hair. Yeah. yeah. And sadly, he almost, he almost killed himself. He tried to attempted suicide weighing they cut him from The Bill. Oh, no. Yeah, it's really sad. But, um, yeah, it's really sad. But anyway, back uh, to my story. Uh, <laughs> 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 Let's let nothing get in the way of a good story. Uh, this was like, you know, this was way before that me okay. and, uh, I was probably about eight at the time and me and my friend Lee Masisa were walking down Mitcham Road in Tooting and we saw Reg walking towards us and we were like oh my god it's Reg and as he got right near us we went alright Reg and he just obviously must get called Reg a lot which is his character name doesn't like it so he just turned around to two eight year olds and went fuck off like, <gasps> and walked on <laughs> and we obviously oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but that is quite harsh that say, is quite harsh yeah. But we did call him Reg, which I think must be fucking annoying. It must be annoying. I don't know. I don't know because you're, you know, you're for, for for him. Then, well, then again, I suppose years later, he then tried to kill himself. So in many ways, you get the last laugh, Carl Donnelly. Yeah, I mean that's not what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted like, I'd rather than just chill out a bit. Well, even so then, much. the signs that he was uptight. Well, it's that weird thing where if you don't, apparently, you know, he'd been Reg for what, however long the building down. It was like he was the longest running character. So, if anything, calling him Reg was... It was a compliment. Yeah. I'm a familiar... That, and he seemed to... Say, all right, Reg, all right, Reg, is I'm familiar with your work. Yeah. And, and he I, took it really badly when he was no longer Reg, as it turns Well, you know, out. turns out there are worse things than being stopped in the street <laughs> and being called Reg yeah, by two eight-year-olds. Well, they... <laughs> <I'm learning. laughs> oh, no, I don't mean... I hope he's all right now, yeah. Get well soon, Reg. <laughs> 
Um, I wanted to ask you uh, this week: is there anything that has like piqued your interest in terms of wisdom? That you yeah that you found out this this week I found out that you know how people don and doff their their hats if you doff your hat to a lady yeah. that's because it used to be it, when you put your hat on it was called a do on a don and when you took it off it was a do off right so it's called doffing your hat okay. I also found out that um, you know a blow job yeah uh, it's called a blow job and people tend not to blow. No. Um, that's because yeah, it was <laughs> once. Just let's yeah, let's start off with looking at it first. <laughs> um, but it's called it was it used to be called it was called a below job, below a below down below. Right. So it's sort of a yeah, you know. Anything interesting you want to share with us? No, apart from Sugar Ray Robinson killing a man. That was my, that was my That is quite interesting. But now I've not really read any facts this week. Well, not just facts, just interesting things you've picked up. What have I read about this week? I read a really good um, article by Elaine de Botton. Okay. Um, about now, he's marriage. on Twitter, isn't he? He's on Twitter, yeah. And he's a philosopher. <laughs> yeah. No, because I follow him on Twitter. I know he's a philosopher. <laughs> he's a guy on Twitter. Well, no, but I know he's a philosopher, but also yeah. people can can catch him yeah, on Twitter, is what I'm saying. Twitter's actually very interesting. And it's, it's yeah. Just, it's that funny thing being a philosopher nowadays is sort of, you kind of forget there are people out there that are still technically philosophers. Because when you say philosopher, you think that is a job that died out about 2,000 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Plato and those things. Um, but no, what is what do modern day philosophers philosophize about? It's just normally about you know uh, emotional development and life and stuff like that. Like, I think he's a really fascinating man. I don't agree with some of the stuff he says, like uh-huh. this, but this article we wrote about was um, about what? how we need to change our view of marriage, uh, almost back to a more traditional view of marriage, mm-hmm. like, in the sense that marriage used to be something that people did when they were at the right point of their life. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. People would be financially secure. They'd be ready to. They'd be ready to at a point in their life where they could enter into this union, mm-hmm. and then we had this whole shift into it, it being a purely love-based thing, a purely emotional thing, where it's just I'm just in love with somebody, we're going to get married. When actually, if you look at your lives, you're not ready to enter into a contract mm-hmm. based just on love. It needs, and he said we need to find, almost take it back to thinking about the love side of it, but also thinking about the technical side of it and the logistical side of it mm-hmm. and it's a really good article you can find it on Twitter okay um, uh, like, yeah, if you Alain find, Button's Twitter he posted it um, it, was, uh, when was it? it might have been yesterday and just it's, it's really I don't agree with all of it because I'm a bit of a romantic in the sense of well I am too but I think there needs to be a, a, a marriage of ideals I guess I was thinking yeah. today that because I was reading about Beyonce and Jay-Z which I'm interested in about well yeah you know that that whole sort of the there's all these rumors swirling yeah. around them, and I don't know, and it's none of our business really. No. But I find it interesting, and in that with them, because they're such a giant brand. And I remember a time when people used to stay together for the sake of the children. Yes. And now you get situations where people like David Beckham and Victoria Beckham and yeah. Jay Z and Beyonce, whatever goes on behind closed doors, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I bet there's that discussion where they have to stay together for the sake of the brand yeah. that they've created, and yeah. it's a big money thing. So there, there must be some kind of well, this is it. I think this, this, this article was really about that whole thing of in the modern age, you know, where we just need to re-determine what, what is it, what, what, you've almost got to make an agreement before you get married that, you know, as much as it's done for love, there are so many other factors that are going to come up over the years mm-hmm. um, that you need to, he, he was saying you basically need to be at a point in your life when you understand them rather than diving straight in. Yeah. And he does bring up things like infidelity and, you know, just, just because like, I, like, it is a fact of, 
he says he almost, he actually does argue the point that you need to split um, sex and love, which I again there's parts that I don't agree with, but if you read it, he sort of says that you know the the infidelity statistics are massive. Massive. You know but then I mean? if you speak to like old people, which I find who I find really you know the most interesting people on the planet, sex. it's important to talk <laughs> to old people. No, but they laugh about our obsession with fidelity. They think it's hilarious that the older you get, the less it matters because. If you've got a union with someone that goes on 40 years and they fuck someone else, yeah. it's not ideal, but it doesn't have to be the end of the world. No. Whereas when you're 25, that's the fucking end of the world. Yeah, totally. But that's what this is all it says. Like, you know, you need to, maybe we, we need to get to a point where we can understand that it isn't the end of the world if somebody has a, you know, just a drunken physical thing for one hour or whatever mm-hmm. with somebody else so that doesn't it's because we imbue that with so much more don't we we take that as a re- rejection people, rather right, than I think the assumption is that if somebody does that then they don't love you and that is and he, he his argument is that um i can't remember i literally read, read it and enjoyed it but i don't i didn't take every word in but um his argument is that 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 is that's a, just an a ridiculous way of thinking and it's quite a lot of pressure to put on a friend totally. like a friendship or a relationship like even i always think it's interesting how um like the, the sort of different judgments you put on things from and depending on what the relation the relationship is. So if my friend's five minutes late, yeah. I'm like, oh, you must have got caught up. If my husband's five minutes late, I'm like, this is the better be a good reason for this. Yeah. If my ex husband is five minutes late, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, yeah. it's always like this. With it. you know, and it's ridiculous. Absolutely. And I do have to have a word of myself, it. but it's you know, your expectations on it are so massive. And there's a, my favorite part of it was about um, how. The, he thinks one of the major problems is that when people enter into any relationship, I think, um, unless you've unless you've loved enough time or been in love enough times or been through enough relationships, he says a lot of times people uh, they, they they actually they think they're looking for love, but what they are is they're looking to be loved, and they're not mm-hmm. ready to actually love themselves. And he said it's a real parental thing because you grow up, you know, with this constant stream of love from somebody else. Hopefully, you don't have to love them hopefully, yeah. yeah. But I mean, not in every mm-hmm. scenario, but whole point is parents give you un, you know, un sort of question yeah. love and you take that in and you never really as a kid think about giving it back yeah you, know, you might you naturally do sometimes but you don't you know you're not going to constantly throw love back at your parents yeah. so you grow up just having you get to the age when you actually get into relationships and all you've ever been is love rather than having love back and he says that most people take that into their adulthood get into a relationship really and all they really care about is being loved. They don't understand that themselves. All they're thinking about is, this is love. But actually, they're just taking it and not thinking about what they're giving back. Giving back. But then if people maybe... thought about it more like that, it'd be a much more even setting. I always think it's interesting because I, I helped a friend fill out her online... Um, she was going online dating. And I yeah. find some of the questions ridiculous because I was saying, well... You know, it's like, do you want... I mean, do you want children or not? It's not a ridiculous question. But some of the things I was like, you should really talk about what drives you over, you know, drives you nuts. Because if it's like, the the things you will fight about will not be whether you want kids. It'll be like the fact that they've squeezed the toothpaste from the centre of it. And the thing, the day-to-day stuff that you go, oh my God, Mm. just put the empty milk bottle in the the bin. (laughs) What's the issue? You know, and it's it's a tiny thing that you wouldn't want to put on your dating profile because it's going to make you look like a nitpicking twat. Nitpicking? Nitpicking. 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 Stop being, stop nitpicking. <laughs> um, but I find it really into, like that sort of criteria for being in a relationship with someone. Yeah. Is that, but I mean, you've been, I mean, how old were you when you got married? 27, maybe. 27. Same age as me when I got married. I was 27 when I first got married. Yeah. 
And did you did you feel ready for it? Um, I don't know. I don't think. No, I don't think I did actually. In hindsight, it's but weird. At the time, or... it's that thing. This is why I found this thing so interesting. Is that at the time you think you're ready for it, but you don't know because you don't know if you're ready for anything. But like then you still don't you know do if you're it. ready. And then you know, obviously, mine didn't work out. As and I mind my first one didn't. I, I, I think it's important to have the first trial marriage <laughs> to figure out. There's a whole lot of things that you need little training oh. courses on. What they don't teach you, like before you have babies, they sort of when you're a, m- a woman, they teach you how to breathe and all that kind of stuff. They don't yeah. teach you how to like Lego. I've got boys. I didn't know about putting Lego together yeah. and all the intricate. And it's fucking, and I'm sure it's to train you for IKEA furniture yeah. when you when you get older. I think that's what Lego is. It's a whole plan by IKEA to get men's brains working yeah. at full whack so they can put together <laughs> shelves. But Lego does my nutting and all that kind of, yeah. And like applying makeup with one hand while you're driving three kids to school. That'd be a really good skill that's, to learn. Illegal. <laughs> <laughs> what? But applying makeup? Well, we're driving one-handed to, while you're doing makeup. I'm sure it must be. I won't be the only woman, I won't be the only woman that does it. I've got an automatic car. I've got an automatic car. So, okay. I'm not changing gear. I'm not a mad woman. Yeah. Are you a driver? Am I? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a driver. Okay. <laughs> Just wondering. Do you, do you ever put your makeup on while driving? No. No. Why not? You just naturally wake up beautiful. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> this is how I thought that. I must look up that article. Because I'm now worrying, obviously, I'm now remarried, and yeah. I worry about keeping it going. Because I also read a thing recently which said, um, because it takes seven years for cells to renew, yes. every seven years you're a different yeah, yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like... <gasps> So we've been together six and a half years now, and I'm really worried. <laughs> I'm really worried that in April I'm going to wake up and just have a different head altogether and go. But I reckon second marriages, you go into it with so much more understanding of relationships. I think, and I think you realise that you know if you're yeah everyone's so flawed. Yeah. But I think when you go into a first marriage or even a first massive relationship, first time you move in with somebody, like you know. If you're at that point, chances are you've been together long enough that you know they're flawed. Mm-hmm. But I, I do reckon people have this weird assumption that getting married is going to sort of iron some of them out. Do you think? I think so. I think oh, it's like moving in together. You think this is going to be this is going to be the thing to take us to the next level. But you don't need to be, you don't need to be taken to the next level. If you're in love with somebody, you're in love with them. Or like, why? Yeah. You, don't think about levels. If you move in together, that just means you get to spend more time. With but them, you know, th- I don't understand. But flaws are then going to be more amplified mm-hmm. if you are with them all the time. Not all the time, but much more time, and um, and I think that's what people mess up. They they keep they think moving in together is gonna somehow take them to the next level. But if you're looking for a next level, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Just, if you love someone, just be with them, regardless of. But don't you think that like we're all programmed to like? I feel like there's an obsession with the next level from an early age. Oh, totally, yeah. Because when you're a kid, excuse me, when you're a kid. People ask you what you want to do when you grow up, and then when you get to the, what you're going to study at school, and what, what A-levels you're going to do, and then what you're going to do at university, and what you're going to do as a job, and then you're going to be, you've got a boyfriend, you're going to get married, you got, you're going to get married, you're going to have babies, you're going to have another baby. You're like, oh my god, yeah. it's just constantly pushing onto the, you know, that. Yeah. I don't know if that's just a thing that. Oh, I think it, yeah, I think it is. And there's um, no escape from it. Well, no, there is. You can naturally stop being like that. But it, no, I'm, I'm just saying that other people. Uh, I'm not saying it's a pressure from within. I'm saying outside forces always say that. I, I think there is a pressure from within. I think that affects you from a young age. I think that happens, and you. I 
it becomes your instinct to always question where you're at and look where you should be. Like, you know, most people, that's why that's people ambition, isn't it? Get towards 30 because I think from what they've learned like that and their natural instincts, I think, why aren't I where I thought I'd be or where should I be? I think it's quite good to be aimless in that respect because I've never known where I've never known where mind you I have this thing in my head which I've now before I used to sort of have a voice in my head that would beat me up quite a lot right and now I have the voice that I use that I tell my daughter things because like she my daughter worries about lots of things so I try and sort of settle her mind and now I borrow that voice sometimes for yeah. me so I was in yoga the other day there and this guy was doing this exercise and he touched his he t- he, put, he lay on his stomach and he brought his feet over and touched his head what? it was amazing and I watched it and thought yeah in my head going that's pretty amazing but I have grown three humans and that is something you will not be doing my friend <laughs> <laughs> which you know I didn't need to you have that sort of justifying voice in your head yeah I swear yeah I think I don't know I'm quite good at I love it you say you're not mas- massively ambitious. Can I remind you of... You're quite competitive though, aren't you? In what sense? In the sense of like maybe seeing late night in a kebab shop in Newcastle. When, uh... <laughs> no, 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 this is a thing, yeah. This is uh, something... I, 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 I take more joy in little things like that. Right. Like just like for listeners. I okay. had a little competition with some guys on a punching machine. I had the most drunken weekend with Carl Donnelly in Newcastle. <laughs> I'd have a, I went for a couple of drinks every night after the gig, which ended up with me seeming, seemingly on a one-woman mission to empty the yeah, comedy club of red wine. Ridiculous. And then one night en- ending up in a kebab shop <laughs> and worrying that the kebab man didn't like me because he was so pissed off with drunk people. That story was in my own That story was in my own Oh, no. Actually guy at three in the morning was upset with you when he was just upset with his life I think. he was working in a kebab shop at 3am in newcastle and you thought he was upset that you said something out of turn well you know i often do see things out of turn but, no, but, that's, I, I like, I, I, but carl punched the punch the, the um, punching machine and you got like 720, I think you got on the score, because giving me score. And then these four guys came in and they, they took it in turns to punch the machine. And of course, we were watching and they, they got about 540, 570. Carl just leans forward and goes, 720, mate. <laughs> I, that. I thought they were going to kill fun. you. It was fun. fun. It was I mean, fun. Big, big things in life. I'm very easy going about. Like with comedy, you know, a lot of comedians I know are very not insecure is probably the wrong word but they're constantly thinking like oh, i'm not doing what i should be doing i'm not they're comparing themselves against somebody else who's yeah. successful and I, for some reason God, that would take some, me forever <laughs> <laughs> but from the word go i've never been like that like i was always always thought about just what i was doing on stage and enjoying doing comedy way more than any critical success which is why you know i'm I quite i don't know obviously i'm quite content with comedy i don't i don't constantly look for things that my agent gets the easiest ride on earth really? i never call him up and say why aren't i doing this why aren't i doing that if anything it's normally me saying i don't want to do that when he offers me things oh really well just like it's, you know I, I, again it's that thing of what have you turned down i don't know just just shit television just shit shows. Tell, yeah just like little like really crap like sort of <laughs> panel shows or pilots that are just shit and like and it's that thing where i don't have it in my head like right if i do this maybe then i'll get Lots of people think this. like that, though. Most, most comedians do, I think. I find it quite you know, bizarre I, when you meet when, when people I mean, you meet people backstage at a gig and they um they sort of glorify how busy they are and yeah. they see what you've been up to and I'm kind of like, 
looking after kids, chatting for an hour a week. Yeah. Um, but this sort of glorification of busy. Yeah, well, why? <clears throat> from, I, I love being a stand-up. I love doing comedy. But what I also love is the fact that it gives me time to do my own shit, like, you know, like travel and sort of, you know, going to Australia and New Zealand is, you know, you're taking yourself out of the industry for 10 weeks. So for that, to, that you know, it's not professionally, it's probably not the best thing to do, but I just like traveling. I like going away and like doing doing gigs over there and writing and seeing what that's about. And like, you know, I went to India for five weeks earlier, like the start of the year. You know, I, I like getting away from it as well. Where is the one place that you've been that comes back a lot? You know how there's certain places in the world that you go to that yeah. um, I when we went on honeymoon, we went to um, Tanzania, and there was one morning that we came out and we were staying in the sort of lodge in the side of a rock, yeah. and there was a river there. And I woke up one morning and it was like and it sounded like pigs snorting, and I was like, "What is that?" Yeah. And there was hundreds of hippos right. in the water, and I remember thinking. Okay, this is going to be a mental image. I didn't grab my iPhone or anything. No, and take it, but I just did that, and the smell of it, and it's that sort of heavy, musty yeah. smell in Africa. And going, okay, I'm going to hang on to this one. This is one of those things I'm going to hang on to. Yeah. That you know, I'll chuck in the memory bank, and I'll have that at some point. Yeah. Have you got anything like that? Loads of them. Like India's full of that sort of places. Like really? The Himalayas, the Him- Indian side of the Himalayas, just for like four days. And just like just you know, it's so remote and secluded. And like in New Zealand, actually, this time. When we did, I finished at the Wellington Comedy Festival. No, I did. So the New Zealand Comedy Festival runs in Auckland and Wellington. Mm-hmm. And I finished my week in Wellington, had three days off before I was meeting up with this thing called the Convoy that travels around the country. Mm-hmm. And there was five comics on it doing it. But I had a few days off. So me and the comedian Marcus Birdman, we just found a really secluded place in the north uh, east, northwest side of the South Island, kind of just two chalets. Just got a boat over to the South Island and went up there for a few days. It was so remote. Like no phone signal. And is, is that your thing, remoteness? I not really. So the first night we got there, we got there quite late. And, you know, it was probably got to about 11 o'clock at night and he was in his chalet. And I just went out for a sort of ramble, essentially. And I went out and I walked, I found this really, I found a forest. I walked through a forest at like midnight wow. in the middle of nowhere. Followed it through and found like a river and that. And I just sat by this river and just, I was on like a log and I was just on the edge of the water. And I sat there for about 45 minutes. And it was great. Although then after that 45 minutes, I had this weird moment where I was like, shit, were they having like alligators in New Zealand? <laughs> and I shit myself. And then got up and sat further back. Because, <laughs> so you, know, because you know, if there's alligators, it can see you. Yeah. And also, that if I got eaten by an alligator there, I'd walked quite far. I was never getting caught. That was me. Just <laughs> do you want me to check if, if, if they have alligators? I, don't think I, did. I think I did ask somebody else. So like, no, you were no, fine. You're fine. But that's what I love. I love going away and just going to secluded places. And like, yeah, India's got loads of them. Really? Yeah. I'd love to go to India. Nowhere for days. And that's, yeah, that's what I like to get away. I'm not somebody that needs constant sort of. Uh, I like to. It's, I, it's weird. When I've, when I've got the option of like checking my phone, I'll do it. But I like to take myself out of that and, for, and almost force myself to not be on the phone. Right. When you're writing, do you sort of force yourself not to go into the internet? No. No. Um, yeah. My, I, I write very casually. Like, I'll just. Like I'll, I'll basically I'll, I always write stuff in my phone when I'm out and about that's where most of my ideas come okay and then I'll just sit down in a coffee shop or something for an hour just work on them and then talking through with Chris Martin who's my comedy does he write everything with you yeah we write together we just, okay. it's not even writing we just talk through it you just dick about yeah and then just if something makes one of the other one laugh or vice versa then we just sort of note it down as a real oh. material and then so I write yeah I don't have I don't put a lot of pressure on writing I can't sit down and write stand-up just at a desk. It just doesn't work for me. 
So the training plan's not quite any easier this year. <laughs> it sounds really <laughs> stressful. Maybe I just do it in a way that other comics maybe stress about stuff, but I don't stress about Edinburgh. Like I know my show will come together because it won't come. I've done. Have you? Have you? So you're going up? Where, where are you on in Edinburgh? Pleasant's Courtyard. Okay. Eight Time. Pleasant's Courtyard. Now that's what I call Donnelly Volume Six. I love it. Yeah. Good. That's it's, a great title. Because it's, it's my shows always just <laughs> what I've been up to. Uh huh. Which is I bizarre because I didn't think, I didn't know that I always was, was saying the other day there how sometimes with comics I never know you know you sit down how how you been fine what you been up to gigging that's yeah. it and then they're on stage and they're talking about they've split up with a girlfriend or you know yeah. their marriage broken and you think wow I learn so much more about my my comedian friends when they're on stage and and the same way that I do I talk about you know I talked about my divorce I've talked about what I'm going through. On stage, because you think I'm not going to bore, I'm going to bore you with this on a face to face level. I'll just tell a room full of strangers. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy. It's easy to tell strangers. It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. We're weird people. But no, but I mean, I think that's for everyone. Some of my best conversations have been with strangers. Really? Yeah, but I, I, I'm quite, a, I'm quite, a, I'm one of these people that will talk to somebody on the train. Or like on the way here, actually, I stopped in Camden. So you talk to a stranger, but you want to approach somebody that you really admire. Yeah, totally. Okay. Because it, I went when I say that I won't infringe on a stranger. If okay. it's like a natural chat, it will happen. Like I was in Inspiral in Camden, which is a vegan restaurant cafe type thing. It's lovely. It's great. And I was just having a having an almond milk latte and, a, you? and a little Thai curry, <laughs> and there's just two women sat next. Not to just me. a little Thai curry, the best Thai curry you've ever. Absolutely. <laughs> but two women sat next to me, and um, and just. Just okay. I don't know how it happened. We just started talking to each other, and they were fascinating. They were like they were both youth workers, and we got talking about what they do, talking about what I do, and then we exchanged details to see. Oh, like, cool! I, I, I said I'd be happy to go and talk to somebody youth someday about comedy. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, so I like that's what I like. That connection. I love yeah. talking to strangers about serious things. Like I've had some, yeah, I've had some crackers. I once got told an amazing story on a train by a guy who I just got chatting to. He was really old. Like, not really old, but he was like in his seventies, and um, he he was on a train to Crawley in Sussex. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was on the train like, down to Horsham in Sussex. in Sussex. So I was going further than him. Uh-huh. So I knew it was about a, you know 35, 40 minute journey. We were sitting opposite each other, and we got chatting about the weather, classic like old mm-hmm. man chat. And then um, whatever he said made me ask what like why he was like, because he didn't say he was from Crawley. I was like, I thought brings you from Crawley. And he said, oh, it's a longer story. And I was like... Oh, mm, here we minutes. go. And he told me the story about how he was he left Crawley when he was like in his 20s, moved to South Africa, became like started up a business, ended up being like a millionaire in South Africa. It all sounded made up, but he was so... He was 70 and he was so genuine. Became a millionaire, had a wife and a kid who then left him, moved back to London. This was like only probably 15 years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was like quite late on in his life. But... Um, he then went to, about four years ago, went to Spain on a business trip, was in his hotel, got bitten by a spider that caused him to have a stroke, and oh was, wasn't found in his room for about 12 hours, by which time it caused loads of damage, got taken to hospital, he was in a coma for six months in Spain, during which time his business partners in South Africa basically squirreled away all his money. By the time he was out of there, got, he was flying back to South Africa, recovered there, by the time he was basically with it enough to start looking back into his finances and his business. They'd taken him for everything. He was literally penniless, bankrupt, and then had to move back to London, lived in a council flat in Crawley. Oh, my God. And then when he got back, his ex just met a new guy, didn't want the kids, unloaded the kid of him. So now he's gone from being a millionaire in South Africa where his wife and kids were back in 
England to being in a council flat with his son who's not really known for the last 10 years whatever and he just he told me this story that lasted about 40 minutes and it's one of the best stories like in terms of that's a film yeah that's what I mean that's what I love like you know I think it's easy I think it's easy to talk to strangers about serious stuff because it's a one-off conversation never gonna meet them again yeah so just yeah get rid astonishing to a friend, you know, yeah, they're gonna follow again. up and ask me how I'm doing and I can't be doing with that I like strangers on train. I once met an old lady on the train up to, from Edinburgh to, um, I was going to see my father who lived in Falkirk, midway between Edinburgh and Glasgow, and she was going up to Fort William. And I helped her with her, her bag on the train, and she was American, and she must have been in her 70s, really old lady. And um, she was like, do you want to sit with me? And I was like, yeah, sure, and I was chat, 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 chat. And she said she was going to um, trace her Scottish ancestors because her surname was McCaig. Yeah. I thought, okay, cool. And she was going up to Fort William, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, do you like rock music? And I said, yeah, I like rock music. And she's like, have you heard of Guns N' Roses? I said, yeah, I've heard of Guns N' Roses. Yeah. She's like, my grandson is in Guns N' Roses. Uh, Duff McKee? Duff yeah, McKee? Yeah. yeah, in Guns N' Roses. I don't know if it's Sony. Maybe oh, I've got the wrong. It's Duff something. Yeah. Mix, yeah. Anyway, I'll, uh, but yeah, random old lady on a train. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and of course, even rock musicians have grannies. Yeah, <laughs> Bizarre. So, in, in 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 short, speak to strangers on trains. Well, speak to strangers in general. Me, uh, me and Chris have talked about it on our podcast about how me and him love a chat with a random. Not just randoms, but like in shops. If I'm if somebody's serving me in a shop, I'll have a chat to them. Like waitresses, waiters. Duff McKagan. Duff his McKagan, name is. Okay. Sorry. But um, yeah, no, we. I'm, I, I don't know what it is. I've got sort of. I can't help but talk to. But that's the joke. If if we were, I think it's a comic thing, isn't it? If we were like in the olden days, we'd be wandering from town to town, going, "You never guess what happened in York." I just spoke to this guy whose wife left him. (laughs) It's the same thing, isn't it? But it's really funny when you uh, meet somebody, or not meet somebody. When I know some comedians who are fantastic stand-ups, but so bad at talking to people in public. Really? Yeah, like Ramesh Ranganathan is a good example of somebody who me me and Ramesh just. like whenever we like because he's a vegan as well so mm-hmm. now and again we meet up for a bit of a vegan lunch it's dinner. quite a thing yeah there's a few of us now kicking around me him Sarah Pascoe has she gone vegan they're all vegans um, then you've got people that have gone veggie like John Robbins and Chris Martin's sort of veggie like so yeah more of us what's the sort of veggie he eats, eats fish he eats like prawns <laughs> that's it but I don't eat any red meat I don't eat anything that looks cute right. <laughs> but I don't like chickens yeah. They're a fair game. <laughs> but um, we, yeah, me and Ronish, we're in Mildred's in Soho, uh, which is a really good vegetarian restaurant. Is it? We've got vegan options. And I was just chatting to the waitress, and we were just having a laugh. And then she, came, she we got a dessert. It was really one of the best vegan desserts I'd ever had at that point. And Ronish got it too. And we were both just like, this is unbelievable. And she came over. What was it? It was a, it was a peanut butter chocolate brownie. Okay. Just with soy ice cream. It was so good warm as well really like, mm. she came over and she was like how's the dessert so we me and her chatted about the dessert before we ordered it and then I was just joking and saying like this isn't I don't believe this is vegan like I want to check the ingredients we're just messing around yeah and then she just turns to Romish and went oh, I hope you enjoyed it too and he just panicked and just repeated what I'd said pretty much word for word <laughs> and it looked so awkward <laughs> he's just he just doesn't have that he's not great at chatting to strangers <laughs> but on stage he's an incredible stand up he's a great stand up yeah so it's that, it's, that, it's that thing where 
you know, some stand-ups just are socially awkward, <laughs> but on stage very funny. They can, they can talk to a room full of strangers, but they can't talk to one stranger. <laughs> and I was, it was so funny watching him just, he totally just hit the panic button and just went, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's legal either. I can't see it's legal either. And I was just losing it. I see her face. You know when somebody's like, a weight just can't help but look at you like, what are you talking What's about? wrong with you? What is wrong with you? The worst though is when you make a joke to uh, like a waiter or waitress. And it's shit, and they don't hear it, and they go, "What?" And you have to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, it's a joke. It's a joke. No, 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 no. Ah, oh, love that. Well, thank you so much for coming. I think we'll we'll, we'll wrap it up there and let you crack oh, on. Yeah. Um, give give us a plug for your show again in Edinburgh. No, that's what I'm Carl Donnelly, volume six. I, I will be talking about my Indian travels. Ooh. Yeah, might talk about uh, some other dodgy scrapes I've been in last year. Uh, what time? Eight thirty. 8.30 every night. Apart from one night off in the middle and then two nights off at the end. I'm, I'm cancelling it. <laughs> when do you early. finish? I finish on the Saturday. Saturday the 23rd. Yeah. I finish on the 24th. I'm having the Monday off. Yeah, I finish on Saturday. Good call. I'm done with, it. I'm, I'm done with that whole like, I am Saturday, out of Saturday. there. Yeah. I did it last year. I did the best thing in Edinburgh, which was finished on the, again, cancelled the Sunday, Monday. On the Sunday, just got a train down to Leeds, did the gig at the Leeds Festival in the afternoon and then got shit-faced and watched bands that night. Good so it just felt like everyone, everyone else was doing their crap last Sunday show and I was at Leeds off my face <laughs> rolling around with Eric Lampere covered in mud. It's wicked. Splendid. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for coming in, girl. Cheers.